Luke this morning. Gospel of Luke will be in the first chapter as we begin a new series. Um, we are on our way to Bethlehem. And you might think, well, it's a little early to start the journey, isn't it? But we got a long way to go. I mean, that's a, that's a big ocean to cross. So <laughs> um, we are on our way to Bethlehem to the foot of a manger to gaze at our newborn king. But on the way there, um, Luke has decided in writing this gospel that he doesn't just want to tell us that Jesus was born. He doesn't, like Matthew, want to give us just a little bit of background and then jump into the story. He doesn't, like Mark, just want to get the ground running. Uh, He doesn't, uh, like John, want to wax philosophically about what uh, what all it means for God to become man. Instead, he wants to set the scene. He wants to take us through the events that lead up to the birth of Christ. And so this morning, we are beginning a series I'm calling Rejoice, and it's a series that's going to take us through the first two chapters of Luke to get us through through the birth of Jesus and even beyond that. Uh, Luke chapter 1, we will be covering the first four verses today, so stand with me as we read Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. This is God's Word. And if you let it, it will change your life. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Pray with me. Father, I pray that these words would reach through the ages and penetrate our hearts and lives. Use your word in this time to build up our faith, to help us know for sure that we may have certainty in the things that we are taught. Thank you for your precious word. In Christ's name, amen. Be seated. We're on this journey um, our guide for the journey is a man named Luke. Luke is, you could probably tell uh, uh, from this, but Luke is a pretty learned guy. I mean, who who writes a 74-word sentence to start his book? Luke does. <laughs> and who, of all people, writes the first word in as much? Well, that, that's a scholar for you right there. Luke, Luke is definitely one of those learned kind of guys. In fact, we know from the book of Acts that Luke was a missionary. In Acts chapter 16, something really interesting happens. Paul has just had his vision of the Macedonian calling him to come help us and interprets that as God leading him. They were going to go into another part of the world to take the gospel. And when they tried to go, they found the door was shut. God didn't want him to go there, but instead he has this vision. And then in verse 10, Luke, who wrote Acts and the Gospel of Luke, kind of as a, as a two-part series, he says, and when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now what's interesting about this is this is the first time we find the first person pronouns used in Acts. It's always they, them, he. It's never we until this verse. This is the point where the narrator isn't just telling the story, he's living the story and bringing you into the action with it. Luke has 
has been a missionary of sorts. He is a Gentile. We don't know a ton about his personal life, but we do know that he is a missionary along with Paul. And it's these wee passages of Acts that show us that. We also know something else about Luke. In Colossians chapter 4, Paul is giving greetings. And, and what you typically do at the end of a letter is you say, all these people that I've talked to have told me to tell you hi. Okay, that's kind of what this section is. And in Colossians 4.14, he mentions Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Damas. So Luke is a physician. He's a scholar. He's a historian, and he's a missionary. And what Luke does is he decides, it's time for me to write down what I know about Christ. And so he begins to pen this book. Now, this took a lot of effort on Luke's part. Look in verse 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. So... (laughs) As I said before, only a scholar would write a 74-word sentence and begin it with inasmuch. This is going to be a different kind of literature. This isn't going to be just a, a, a real simple uh, uh, thing that, that, that somebody just kind of threw together. This isn't a, a five-page paper that you had to write, but you didn't start it until 11 o'clock the night before. This is something that has taken a lot of time. And he says that he's not the only one that's done this. Look at this. Many have undertaken to compile a narrative. This has been done before. By the time Luke writes his gospel, it's around AD 62, give or take a couple of years. Mark has already finished his gospel. Matthew is either in the process or he's about to start writing his gospel. There's other stories that are floating around. People are talking about things that happened in Jesus's life. Some have written pieces and bits down here and there. Luke is wanting to, to take all these things and pull them together. And he says, I'm not the only one that's done this. Many have done it. Now, did what they do, was that wrong? No. Was it incomplete or inadequate? No. Luke just says, you know, a lot of people have done this. Maybe it's time for me to do it. There's something else. Um, He's, as many as undertaken to compile a narrative. He is not just writing a collection of stories like, like a book of children's fables. This isn't just something that you just write down story after story after story and there's no real relationship, but they all kind of go together. I have a book in my office that is um, that is stories that are just put together in this book. They don't really relate to one another, but they're all just kind of stories all collected together. Uh, An anthology, if you will, of different different stories and poems and things that are brought together. So, but Luke isn't trying to do that. Luke is compiling a narrative. Now, if you know anything about narrative, you know a narrative has to have a purpose. There's a reason that you're telling the stories. It's not just that you're telling the stories just to tell them. You're telling them to do something. Maybe it's to teach a lesson. Maybe it's to get across a certain point, to persuade someone of a certain truth. Maybe the narrative is to shed some light on a topic that not many people know about. This kind of stuff, when, when Luke looks at the, the events of Jesus' life, when he's looking at this person, the birth, and the circumstances that surround the birth, the angelic visits, and, and the birth of a, a, a man named John the Baptist who would go before Christ, 
And, and, and when he looks at this temptation in the desert, and when he looks at the baptism, and when he looks at the, the teaching ministry of Jesus and the things that he preached, when he sees him sitting on the sermon, the sermon on the mount, sitting down and teaching his disciples and masses of people, when he sees him breaking bread and breaking bread and breaking bread and a couple of loaves suddenly feed 5,000 people, when he sees Christ performing the miracles and the healings of, of casting out demons or of making the lame to walk, when he sees these things, he's finding an overall theme. He's finding something to be true in all these stories and he's bringing them all together in order to do something. We'll get to what in just a second. But I want you to see, these are not unconnected events. So as we read through this gospel, don't look at these things as bit by bit by bit as though they're separate things and they don't really matter. What is Luke trying to tell us by pulling all these things together? We'll get there in just a minute. But look at verse 2. Not only does he write the, this narrative He wants to make sure he gets the narrative right. And so he talks to people. Just as those who were from the beginning, who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. He did interviews. He got eyewitness testimony. He doesn't just go by hearsay. He talks to people who were there. I could see him getting aside with Peter or John or James or maybe one of Jesus's brothers. Perhaps he's talking to Stephen or one of the other early uh, followers of Christ. One of the men who would be appointed deacons. Maybe maybe he's talking to some of the, the elders in these churches. You got to know he was talking to Barnabas and Paul. He's talking to these men who have lived through the experiences, who have walked with Jesus and talked with Jesus, who have heard him and watched him, who have helped him. He must have talked to people who were in the upper room. He must have talked to people who were on the mountain. He must have talked to people on the boat when Jesus is walking on the waves. And he gets these eyewitness testimonies. These these people who were there and who saw it and who lived it. I can't tell you how many countless hours Luke must have spent gathering all of this data, listening to all of these stories. Can you imagine the copious notes? that this scholar would have taken to make sure he got the story right. To convince us of what he has found to be true about Jesus, Luke takes the testimony of those who were there. Verse 3, it seemed good to me also. Up until that point, it's just trying to explain what he got to get to this point. Now he's going to say, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past. Oh, this was a long effort. Don't think Luke did this in a weekend. Don't think that he just took a few weeks off. He had been compiling stories for years. How do I know that? Because he had been following all things closely for some time past. You ever get something that you're interested in? And so you want to read every single thing you can. You want to listen to every story that you can. Anytime something about it is on, your ears perk up. You see a TV documentary and and suddenly you, you find yourself glued to to watching that whole thing because you're interested in the topic. Carrie probably doesn't know what that's like, um, but but just give her give her a um, what let's say a Karen Kingsbury book and you devour it pretty quick. But I'm kind of that way. I have these certain things that I'm really interested in, and so if I run across something, a movie or a show or a, a book or something like that, I'm going to jump into it and I'm going to get into it. I'm just that kind of way. 
Scholars are that kind of way. There was a guy by the name of R.H. Charles who spent 40 years or more just studying the literature of a 300-year window and became the expert on that work of literature. See, that's what scholars do. They find something that interests them and they narrow their focus to that and they just do everything they can to learn more about that, to participate in it. If they're a scientist or something like that, they may do a bunch of experiments in that way to understand it better. If you're someone like a, um, a biblical studies type of person or someone like that, then you're going to read everything you can read. You're going to, you're going to spend hundreds or thousands of dollars to go halfway across the world just to read a a particular manuscript because you're so interested in the topic. You're going to go to every length possible to do as much as you can to learn as much as you can about it. That's what Luke is doing with the life of Christ. And boy, that, that seems kind of interesting because when we think of just learning about Jesus, we just read a little bit in our scripture and we read a couple of verses and that's about it. And we think, man, well, we're really interested in Jesus. And here's a guy that's spending his money and putting forth so much effort to learn everything he can about this Christ. And this isn't the days of Google where you just type in a few words and all that information comes to you. This was hard work. And he'd been doing it for a long time. And now that he's done it for such a long time and gathered all these stories and seen what he's seen of Christ, Now it's time to write. Luke's specialty, if you will, is Jesus. Boy, may that be true of us. Now he has the scoop. He's got to figure out how to present it. Having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account. How is Luke going to present his case? Now he's going to write the narrative, and he's going to put it in an order. Most of it's chronological. Most of it pretty much happens as it goes along. But there's some things that Luke writes in there that aren't exactly chronological. Some times where things happen maybe in a little bit different order than what Luke puts them in. What's he trying to tell us? He also tells us who he's writing to. Most excellent Theophilus. This man has an apt name. His name means one who loves God. I'd like to think this is a real person. Probably was, but we don't know for sure. Theophilus was a common name, so... Probably was a real person. But you know, I'm a lover of God. I wonder if Luke has something to say to me. Are you a lover of God? Maybe maybe Luke has something to say to you too. We as fellow Theophiluses are eavesdropping on a letter that makes a case two millennia old. It's just as poignant, just as timely today as it was on the day that the ink was still wet. All this leaves us to one question. Why go through all this effort? Why spend these countless years, these countless hours, these countless drachmas or whatever money he was spending? Why spend all of this time and effort and energy and money into just writing down a story? What's the point? Why does Luke go through this much trouble? What's so important that makes him want to write these things? And the answer, boy, the answer just really hits home with us today. Verse 4 that you may have certainty. You want to know why Luke goes through all this effort? He's not going through all the effort because he has to. He's not going through all the effort because he got a sweetheart book deal. Some publisher didn't come to him and say, Luke, you got to write this down, baby. This is gold. I'll sign you the contract right now. Let's do this. It's not why he's writing. He's writing 
so that this person he's writing to, these people that he, are, he is writing to, these, these people that would long outlive him in Theophilus could have certainty. I said that sentence was 74 words long. The word certainty is the 74th word. Almost like he is building his case so that at the very top, the very finishing touch, certainty. We live in a world of uncertainty. We live in a world that, that, that can't even figure out what a man and a woman is. We live in a world that pretends that we know things that we don't and pretends that we don't know things that we do. Our world is a world where everything is chaos and everything is, is flo- floating around and, and there's nothing stable. There's nothing secure. Oh, we try to be secure. We have security systems. You have a security system in your car, probably. Now, some of you have cars that are a theft deterrent because they're so dilapidated. Uh, I understand that. I've got one of the, one or two of those myself. That's just how it works. You know, when your car is missing a wheel or two, that pretty much prevents theft. Uh, thankfully, none of ours are that bad. We're just, we're, we're working that way though. Um, we live in a world where, where security is something we beg for, we plead for. We're willing to give up anything for security. We live in a world where we just want to, we just, we just want to cut through all the junk and just know something for sure. I mean, we can't even figure out where we're going to eat lunch today. Mitchell's like, yes, I know. What is it like to be certain? How freeing it must be to know that you know about anything. Luke wants Theophilus to have certainty. He had heard about Jesus. He had been taught that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. But how can he know that? How can he be certain that all the claims about Jesus are true? That he really can change someone's heart? That he really can bring you into right relationship with God? That he really can forgive sins? That he really is God? How can, how can he be certain of all these things? How can we be certain of all these things? I've heard it said before that we put our faith in Jesus, not in the Bible. But how do we know Jesus? We know Him through the Word of God. And Luke writes this so that we can have certainty. We don't have to flip-flop. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to question ourselves. Because of God's Word written down ages ago, we can see who Christ is. We can see who we are. We can see what God has done for us. And we can know that we know that we know. We don't have to question. Now, sometimes we might have questions. We might have genuine concerns. Sometimes fear and doubt assail us. But we can be sure. We can know that we know that we know. Because we can read these things for ourselves. Luke knows that writing the story of Jesus will provide a sure anchor in a world of storm-tossed seas. Certainty of faith doesn't derive just from the accurate facts of a gripping narrative told in an orderly way. Those things lead us to the Christ who can give us certainty, who beckons us come and helps us to know that what we believe is truth. Do you want to know that you know? Do you want to have certainty? In a world of shifting sand, do you want to stand on the solid rock? Now, i got to be honest with you. Faith is only as good as what you put it in. You put faith in something that's unstable, you may as well not put faith at all. But certain faith in a certain Lord that's unshakable. That faith will hold firm 
And the way we get that firm faith is through God's word, written in part by a man named Luke. A scholar, yes, a historian, a physician, a missionary, but most importantly, a man whose life was changed by Jesus Christ. The testimony about Christ in Luke will help us have the unshakable foundation upon which we can build our faith, we can put our trust, upon which we can base our lives. Do you want to know that you know? I'm going to be down here at the front. If you need someone to talk to, I'd love to help you. Maybe you've got those doubts. Maybe you're, you're, you're back and forth. Maybe you just, you just need, you just need a rock. You just need something certain. I'll be here. I'd love to help you with whatever I can while we sing this invitation song. But first, let me pray. Father, this is your time. You have given us a word that is certain. Luke himself, he did all the work. He did the effort. He did the research to write the story down. But we know that more importantly than anything of that, more importantly than anything Luke did, more importantly than any of his preparation was the movement of your spirit because he didn't just write the words all by himself. We know that through your spirit, you guided him to every word that went on that page from the first word to the last. You're the one who who guided him in writing. You're the one who guided him as he heard these stories and as he learned about Christ and as he gave his life to you and dedicated himself to your mission. God, you are the one who led him. And because of you, not just because of good historical work, not just because of great literary genius, because of your Holy Spirit, we have these words. To help us have certainty and make us sure. Establish our feet on the rock. Help us know that we know that we know. This is your time. You do the work in us. In Christ's name, amen.